and part of what eases that pain is knowing it's the really brave people who are willing to walk away from the good thing or even the very good thing in order to create something that's exceptional. And it's so easy to just ride your successes forever. Uh, but it, you know, that just, um, it, you, you fade after a while. People know what you're doing and they can sense it. Holding on, letting go. Holding on, beliefs, letting go. Always know exactly when to fall. Beliefs, letting go. Always know exactly when to fall. Hello and welcome to episode seven of Knowing When to Quit. My name's Sarah Wyler and this is the podcast where we explore how we navigate the decision to bring things to a close. Today is a really special conversation. I'm talking to John Williams, who is a best-selling author, entrepreneur and coach for people who have ideas that they want to bring into the world and make money from. And it's no understatement to say that John Williams changed the course of my career. Ten years ago, I attended a scanner's night, which we'll talk about a bit in this episode. But essentially, a scanner is someone who has a lot of ideas and may struggle to sometimes bring these ideas to life. I definitely was one of those people that had a notebook full of potential things I wanted to do. And meeting John, meeting other scanners and reading his book, Screwwork Let's Play, and doing his online course really supported me to turn my ideas into my career. And like this was, bear in mind, when I met John, I had a full-time job. I was like vaguely thinking I might want to do something with music, but it felt like so far away. And it's really exciting that, yeah, 10 years on, he asked me to be uh, one of the case studies in his book for the re-edition of Screwwork Let's Play, which is called F-Work Let's Play. So we talk a lot in this episode about what it's like to have lots of ideas and how you know, although you could identify with being that person, really we want to bring these ideas to life. And how do we do that? How do we make sure that things don't just stay as an idea that no one ever sees or learns about? But the other thing we talk about is how to know when to quit. And what I think John is an amazing example of is that he has often closed down his really successful programs in the middle of them because they didn't resonate anymore or because it was time for something else. And he really does practice what he preaches with this. So if you are a scanner, if you're someone who identifies with having lots of ideas, I think you will really enjoy this episode. And if you know someone who's a scanner, <laughs> then please forward it on to them because there's so much wisdom here. And finally, if you're enjoying this podcast and want to support us, you can buy us a coffee at ko-fi.com forward slash Sarah Wyler. Enjoy the episode. Holding on, letting go. Holding so, well, welcome, John. Um, it's so nice to have you on the podcast, as you were my original inspiration for leaving my full-time work. So, yeah, it's a real, a real full circle to have you um, talking today. I'd love for you to share a bit about who you are for people that don't know would you just share a brief intro of what you do in the world yeah um 
I'm an author, for one thing. Most recent book is F Word, Let's Play, Do What You Love and Get Paid For It, which you are featured in, which we'll probably talk about a little bit later. And I also run programs to help people create a unique business around work they actually love doing, which I think you're a very good example of. Well, thanks very much. <laughs> so I'd love to hear, John, like, what was your first big experience of quitting? Yeah, I think the one that really stands out, particularly the work one, is leaving Deloitte. So I had a job as a senior managing consultant at Deloitte, which is which is paid really well. And uh, I just found Deloitte far too corporate for me. So for some people, it's their dream job. You know, that I sat people sat around me everywhere who absolutely loved being there, and it just didn't suit me at all. Um, and so I decided I wanted to leave. And I wanted to be able to do whatever I wanted to do. So that was the kind of, um, that was my plan. Get out and go consulting and then work out what to do afterwards. It wasn't an easy decision because I didn't really, I didn't have a lot of savings or anything. I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't know uh, for sure that my plan was going to work. But I had a hunch that um, the reason that I wanted to leave was because I really thrive in creative environments. I love uh, working at the cutting edge of technology I work in. I like working in places that don't stand on ceremony, but aren't formal. I don't have to dress up to go there. So the startup I was working at beforehand was much more to my liking. It was like a classic startup culture, free beers and good perks. And no one really cared what time you came in or left as long as the work got done. And uh, Deloitte was much too dry. I didn't really share the values of the people who were there. You know, the people around me were so driven to kind of climb up that ladder and do whatever's necessary. And the, the people above me were very single-minded in their focus on the same kind of thing. Uh, and you could become extremely rich by being a partner at uh, Deloitte. Well, extremely rich in the sense that you can make millions per year. I would call that, you know, by most people's standards, that's extremely rich. Yeah. And I left not knowing whether this plan was going to work and what was going to happen beyond the consulting because I had desires to do other more creative things beyond that. Quit. I think I was at that point, I was doing my psychotherapy training at Spectrum. Um, I was on the first year of that. I think the next year I did coach training also, I'd just been doing stand-up comedy because I'd done a stand-up comedy course at the Amused Moose, which is a very well-known one with Logan Murray. I started uh, coaching people in 2005. Then I started running this live event called Scanners Night in 2007, I think it was, for creative people. Can you share what a scanner is? Yeah, so, uh, and we write about this, so, you know, we, we yeah. tell your story as a nice illustration. A scanner is somebody, this is in the book, uh, F Work, Let's Play. There's um, a scanner is somebody who's got lots of ideas, lots of interests, uh, lots of diverse interests who seem like they're not related, loves learning things for sake of learning things, but gets bored easily and so moves on to another subject. I remember being, uh, when I was still living in the Midlands before I moved to London 20, 30 years ago, I did um, Japanese at night class. And then when I done, I think I did a year of Japanese, I then switched to counseling skills. And to anybody else who just go like, that makes no sense. 
And to a scanner, it's just like, yeah, of course. So no, that was the next thing I was interested in. <laughs> John, you know, I also did Japanese night classes. <laughs> oh, did you? Yeah. And I remember reading a book about Japanese grammar and finding it absolutely fascinating for yeah. a while. But, it, but but the thing about scanners is that we tend to, we're good at starting things and not so good at finishing things. Mm. And the challenge is if you don't, if you don't ever finish anything, then you actually don't really move forward. And it's not, I disagree, you have a term originally is from Barbara Sher, who wrote some great books about this, but I disagree with her on her idea that you, you kind of never need to finish anything. Well, if you want to, if you want to have, if you want to create meaning, if you want to create value in the world, if you want to impact other people, and particularly if you want to get paid, then you do need to finish stuff and you need to ship it and you need to create value and you need to go through that process process of, of working out how to do what you love in a way that people find it really useful and so they're happy to pay you and um and so i started this live event called scanners night mm -hmm. uh somewhere around 2007 i think it was just as a way for me to meet other scanners so it started with six of us in the ica bar uh, um the institute of contemporary arts in london and we, uh, there were six people there, including me. And I think one of them was a friend, one of them was a client, a coaching client. And there were a couple of other randoms off the internet. And uh, we just talked about what it was like to be a scanner. We showed our scanner notebook of all the crazy projects we'd been thinking about and working on. And people said, oh, this is really good. You know, are you going to organize another one? I went, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so I started doing that. And then one day I, I have these moments sometimes in my life where I go like, I think I'm actually going to try and do this properly. I don't know where mm. it comes, you know, sometimes I'm on holiday. I remember I had this at school once, like, I think I might actually try hard this year. So <laughs> <laughs> I had the best year ever at school. And uh, so I did this with, with Scanners Night. And then suddenly somebody said, hey, I've got this really nice venue, which is a room above a, a, a cool bar in East London, do you, want, do you want to use it for Scanners Night? I went, yeah. And then I um, spoke to Jürgen Wolf, who is a script writer in Hollywood and also a great creativity coach. And he said, oh, I'd love to speak for you. And so we had oh, a, wow. a speaker and we had a venue and we had, I still got photos from that event from uh, 2007 or whatever it was. And uh, we had like 20 people come along, or more than that, actually, more like 30. And it was, you know, just really good fun evening. It was free back then. And then eventually I worked with a, um, a coach friend called Daniel Wagner. And he said, you know, you really ought to start charging for this thing. And, and I was terrified of the idea of charging for this thing because I, it's funny, going from zero to 10 pounds just felt like, yeah, uh, it felt like a lot. I mean, considering how much people pay me now, you know, it's just... What felt different? Because obviously you had a huge day rate um, as a consultant. What felt different about charging it for this kind of event? Yeah, that's a good question, actually. Um, I, think because, <clears throat> I think because I've been doing it for free, I don't know, really. Mm. I guess it's because this is really my event now. I'm not just selling you on my skills and my pre previous track record. I'm saying this event that started off as a bunch of people in a bar so uh, anyway, Daniel said, you know, charge 10 quid for this thing. And I went, oh my God, I can't possibly do that. <laughs> and I charged it. And of course, we've got the same number of people as ever. It's um, uh, didn't slow people down at all. And now finally, I was actually making some money. I mean, I think we peaked at about 70 or 80 people 
attending. And um, I was completely disorganized. You know, half time I hadn't thought when the next one was going to be. Hadn't planned ahead with who the speaker was because I'm just a very scatterbrained, well, I was a very scatterbrained person back then. And, and despite that, it became very popular in it. This event, um, it got featured in the Daily Express and in a couple of glossy magazines. Without me ever thinking of doing PR, it just got PR mm -hmm. because people were really interested in this concept of an event solely for scanners. And I, I seem to... I think that there's there's a lesson in that, which is that if you create something that you wish you existed, but which doesn't exist yet, that's often a formula for a really successful event. And because you're ahead of the curve, what you end up doing is creating, <clears throat> it's something called category creation. So you create uh, not just another one of something where everybody else is competing with you, you create a whole new category of something. So, you know, the power of uke is like, who else yeah. does the power of uke? There are people doing music things in corporations, but yours has a particular flavor mm. and it's more profound than just learning uh, music, fun as that is. So, um, you know, Scanners Night, while it was just basically an event with people speaking, which is, there's, you know, like a TED Talk or um, uh, lots of meetups that you now find on meetup.com. It was different because it had this concept of being a scanner and people were yeah. fascinated by that. So it was like, the only scanners event in the UK. And I remember the first one I went to was in 2012 and it was just such an amazing evening of, I remember meeting all of these people that had the kind of, they spoke similarly and had like these kind of scattered conversations that totally made sense. And it was, everyone had loads of ideas and it was just so refreshing because I'd often felt quite like, too much in when I you know people would be like whoa you've got some what what's your focus and suddenly to like own that and and meet others like that and it I think there's a real homecoming when you find your tribe in that way and I, yeah and I also think it's something really powerful that you didn't plan this to be something and I, I think often the best ideas it's like oh we just met with some friends and then suddenly it turned and like there's something really non-attached about creating things from that place and and, I, and actually, I feel like that's what the 30-day challenge is. And I'd love, you'd love you to talk a bit about that if you, because obviously that's where we first worked together. Why is that so powerful in terms of addressing what you said about people don't finish things, people, you know, people have ideas, but they don't finish them. Why was the 30-day challenge something that, like, addressed that? Yeah, I think this is a course we ran um, from about 2011 for, for seven years or something. And... Um, we ran it 11 times. I think uh, it, we had up to 350 people around the world taking part. And um, the 30 day challenge was a project to put something that you cared about out into the world uh, in 30 days. And you got daily lessons about the creative process, about choosing what idea you should pursue, about sticking to your schedule of producing about all the anxieties you go through as you contemplate sharing something with other people and about getting over perfectionism and procrastination. And it was really the kind of stuff I've been talking about at Scanners Night, but it was developed into a really um, a very coherent, intensive 30-day experience. And I think what was, what was interesting about that is that on the 30th day, the rule was 
you had to share the thing with everybody else in the group initially. And so, you know, if you're launching a blog or if you're taking a bunch of photos or if you've got an idea for a business, you have to show that on the 30th day and show that you're doing it. And, and you know, your example was brilliant because I think within the 30 days, you'd launched a comedy night, which was, you know, amazing. I didn't mean uh, so, to. It was an accident. <laughs> yeah. I was supposed to well, make again, a five-minute set, and then I was like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. I'll get some other people involved in this. Yeah. I know, I know. You know no one will turn it up five minutes, so what do I do then? Okay, do a comedy night, which I think mm. is just... Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And um, and there's also, there's a little bit of a pressure cooker feel to it. And the, and the thing that made people really rave about it, which is very powerful in terms, because I am a marketer as well. So part of my brain is thinking like a marketer. The mm. reason why people raved about it and wanted to come back and do it again, and uh, and also would want to buy courses that followed on from that, was because they they went through a shared experience. And somewhere in the middle, uh, people generally have some kind of, not always, but it might be mild, but they have some kind of crisis. There's some moments somewhere in the middle mm. where you just go, oh my God, like, what am I doing? Like, am I really going to share my poetry with the world or this crazy business idea or this event that I'm going to put on? Am I really going to run this first event or whatever it might be? And so, and then what we would do is go like, that's on the table. You can talk about that. So unlike mm. other business courses where it's all, you know, hustle, hustle, and I don't know, it gets a bit macho. This is like, you can talk about that stuff here and you can say, I'm having a freak out and you will get a good response from yeah. both me and the people running it. So I used to run it with Selena and then uh, some other people and, um, and from everybody else who's on it because there's very much an atmosphere of like, that's part of the conversation. It's not, it's not something you should be embarrassed about. So yeah, it had a really big effect. We stopped running it after a while and uh, after about seven years, because I just feel like everything has a lifetime. And mm -hmm. the problem was by then, lots of people had, uh, picked up on this thing called a, a five-day challenge, which I've run myself to, which was free. And so they were confused that we were charging for this thing. I think there are a couple of other problems with the business model of a 30 day challenge because it's low price. So you have to have a lot of people in it to make a significant amount of money. And the kind of people who are the kind of people who got 30 days to spend on something are generally at the early stage of a business. So for yeah. me and where I am now and who I like to work with, it's not ideal because for instance, I wouldn't join a 30 day program mm -hmm. at, that I got to read every day because I'm too busy. So it doesn't, you know, if I want the right kind of people who now work with me one-to-one -one on their businesses, then it has to be a different proposition to get them into my world. So I'm kind of like, you'll notice, like, I'm always thinking parallel, what do I want to do? What do people, mm -hmm. what does the world need? And mm -hmm. what's going to work in marketing and business terms? And yeah. you've got to hold those kind of three things together. And I also love the fact that you've grown with your, so like, I imagine when you started the 30-day challenge, it was the kind of thing you wanted to do. But then like seven years on, you're like, cool, I've kind of done this now. Like I wouldn't need this. And, you know, maybe with the Scanners Night as well. I don't know. Do you still run Scanners Night? No, I stopped that um, several years ago. Uh, five years ago, maybe now. Yeah. So, yeah, at least five years ago. Mm. Um, because it, 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 well, again, it's about the kind of person uh, that turns up and who then goes on. And 
I think one of the lessons I've learned is sometimes you need to shut a thing down completely and say, that is the end of that. Mm -hmm. Move on to something else. And then you might come back around and reinvent something, but that suits you better now. So yeah, I shut down Scanners Night because I felt like it kind of lived its purpose and it was attracting too many. So here's the thing. I talk in the book, uh, in F Work, Let's Play, about um, basically bad scanners and good scanners. This got me into a lot of trouble with Barbara Schroeder. Tell me about this. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I wrote an inflammatory article saying like, okay, so you're an article, this is a blog post. And I said, okay, so you're a scanner, great. But sometimes I've got to admit my heart sinks when people tell me that. You know, hooray, I've discovered I'm a scanner. Because there are good scanners and there are bad scanners. And bad scanners are people who only ever dabble. They have lots of mm. ideas. They never finish anything. They never really produce. And really what's hiding behind that is a psychological fear of being seen, of perfectionism, of being criticized uh, and, and so on. Uh, sometimes even a fear of success possibly. But the good scanners, they have lots of interests, but they know, first of all, what is their cash cow? What's the main thing that makes money? They have a main business that they can pursue. And um, they can, uh, and they follow through on the stuff that matters. Now they may well go and do one term of Japanese language and dump it afterwards. That doesn't matter because it's not, they're doing it just for interest. But the main thing which they love doing and that's making money is the engine of their finances. And it's also the engine of their production of impact because it's not just about money. It's about like, do you want to have an impact on the world? Do you want to create value for people? Do you want to have meaning in your life? If you want to, then you have to produce and you have to interact with the market. That's where, you know, it's like writing a novel and never showing it to anybody. It's like there is value. Maybe you enjoyed writing it. You can do that if you want to, but something very rich happens in the interaction with the audience. I say mm. in the in the book, that the creative act is incomplete without an audience. Because Even that's true. Really, I, I think to, a, to an extent, I think the creative act has value um, in itself, but I don't think you are missing so much when you don't interact and you're not finding out whether it's working for anybody else if you don't interact with an audience. I want to go back to the um, the thing you were saying about, well, like on the 30-day challenge, you know, obviously people are going through an experience. There must be some times where people just had ideas that weren't going to work. But like, how do you how do you support people? And maybe this is beyond the 30-day challenge to know the difference between like this, give it a bit more time, like persevere, put it out there and actually like cull it because like, and move on the way you've done with some of your things. Like, how do you know that difference and how do you support others to know the difference? Well, it depends whether you're talking about business or creative stuff. If it's pure creative stuff, there were times when we looked at people's projects who just went, I have no idea what's going on here. Like, whoa, what? Yeah, it was rare. But, but you look at it and just go like, this isn't going anywhere but 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 good on you for being excited about it for the creative project we'd never get us like can it you know you're no good mm. so that would be crushing anyway for business stuff which is most of what i'm doing with clients you know i work with people who are creating a business around their skills and expertise primarily and um then the test is the market it's 
really simply mm. let the market decide. And there's a process you go through, which in the startup world, in fact, this coin a term was coined by Mark Andreessen, who created Netscape and then numerous other things. He is now a very, very wealthy person and well-respected in the startup world. He, he uh, coined this phrase, product market fit. And what you need to do is you need, when I'm working with people who are at the beginning of their business journey, the main focus is how do we rush as fast as possible to the point where we can prove product market fit? And I want to do that. I'm just pushing people all the time. You know, never mind the website, I would swear at this point, if we weren't trying to be blunt, you know, <laughs> F your website and your logo and your business card and your, what you want to call your name. I don't give a crap about that. Get this proposition, stick it in, under front, in front of potential clients and ask them what they think of it. And, you know, see, see if you can get somebody to buy it. And once they buy it, then, you know, if you get like two, three people buying a thing, whether it's a service or a course or an app or whatever it might be, then you know you're onto something. They're not doing it for you as a favor. They're mm. doing it because they see the value in it. So for business stuff, it's, it's about product market fit. But art goes through the same thing. If Like if you want to, if you do actually want to sell your art, then there is a product market fit process with art as well. Because, you know, when you're, when you're a band and you want to be a successful band, you are, you're playing with what do we want to say on this album or in this new musical direction or whatever it might be? And what is the market going to buy? And you're playing with those two things. And, um, you know, exactly where, how you play with those is, you know, you could write many, many books about that because obviously there are people like Van Gogh who is ahead of his time. Um, and there are musicians who are ahead of their time who only ever have a very small audience and then get appreciated later. Um, or they have to just plow away for it. Or they'll do something that's just continually surprising to their fans and sometimes pisses them off. And whether you do that or whether you want to be super commercial and be Coldplay is your choice. You get to choose that, where you want to be on that scale from like total, total art performance. I don't care if it sells to we want to fill stadiums and make a shit ton of money out of this. Where you lie on that scale is completely your choice. So I'm by no means, I'm saying like when I'm working with people because they're paying me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're generally, you know, they're trying to make good money. And, and personally, I like I like money. So I like to do things that are commercial. Um, but you can absolutely choose where you are on that scale and you can do things purely as an artist. You can write your poetry. I still think you can play out your poetry of an audience and just see what happens because it's not about being popular. It's about just connecting with the world and mm -hmm. having your poetry be aired and, and go, oh, wow, that little thing I wrote in five minutes moved people more than the thing I sweated guts over for three months. Social media, right? You put out things to social media and I put out things that go, this is, people are going to love, this is going to get so many likes. And yeah. everyone just goes, meh, nothing. And then you post something, it's just like a five second selfie, which is completely stupid. And it goes crazy. Yeah, I think get, people well, feel I... the energy around it, don't they? They feel like there's a non-attachment to it. I, I heard Matt Haig being interviewed the other day on a, How to Fail yeah. with Elizabeth Day. And he was, I didn't know this, that him, Reasons to Stay Alive was like, a quick side project he did while he was writing another book. Wow. And he was like, I really didn't really? think about it. He was like, I kind of just put it together. Like 
just kind of sent it off like it wasn't the main thing and that he's like that's probably why it did so yeah. well because I wasn't stressed about it and I just think it's such an amazing yeah. example and yeah what you said about the social media as well and I love that idea of like allowing well allowing an idea to to actually come to life and touch people and and I remember yeah. there was something you did on the 30-day challenge which was really effective one of the days you just said it's ship it day and we just had to ship something by the end of the day yes. and it wasn't in it was like in the middle of the project and the stuff people shared was amazing yes. because they were like oh whatever like this hasn't got to be good like here's my photo here's my website and we were all like oh my god this is so good yeah so that, that's in the book that's in um uh, if you're really interested it's in f work let's play it's, and it's called the perfectionist challenge and mm. the idea is like that thing that you've been waiting to finish perfectly what I challenge you by the end of today, by midnight, to just get it presentable as much as you can and ship it. Shipping it yeah. just meaning, you know, this phrase from uh, Seth Godin, just put it out to the world and stick it out on social yeah. media and go, look, you know, I've been trying to get this photo perfectly photoshopped forever or this rain, this shoot I did. And uh, it ain't perfect, but here it is anyway. I need to stick it out there. And you'd be amazed how um you know there's a again it's a business quote but there's a quote by matt mullenweg who which is a business thing it's about startup ideas and he created wordpress which is enormously successful and he said like until uh your idea um is shipped um you don't really it's he says it you have to expose it to the oxygen of the audience of the market. And until you do, you think you're helping it, but you're actually kind of asphyxiating the project. Because you don't, until you oxygenate it, it's just, um, you don't really know what's going on. Wow. I guess so, and I think you really see that in stand-up, like until you've actually yeah. had an audience, like it's so it's so powerful in stand-up, but I think there's, we probably don't do that enough in other areas. Yeah. Um, yeah, what's amazing about stand-up, of course, is that the feedback loop is so tight. Yeah. You, you, you do a line and you immediately know if it works or not, which yeah. is brutal. But the problem with startups, for instance, at the opposite end of the scale, or build, the worst one is architecture. You, I've got a new idea for how to build an office block. It could be 10 years before you determine whether yeah. that was a good idea. Very long. Well, it strikes me when you were talking about your decision to stop Scanners Night, your decision to stop the 30 day challenge, that you what the part of your success as an entrepreneur has been just calling it like it's it's time to move yeah. on. And you were saying when we arranged this call that you've just um, quit or yeah, folded one of your programs. Like, can you share a bit about that and like how you made the decision this time? Yeah, so I run. I was running this program that was uh, quite well known for called the Pioneer Program, and it's a three-month program to create a unique business around your knowledge and expertise. And it was working really well, and it you know it got better and better. We started in 2017, and there was a whole team around it. the The decision to end it was quite unexpected. I hired this coach um, in the states, and I had a one-to-one -one with him, and we went through what I really liked doing, and I said that basically all I've ever wanted to do is create cool shit and help other people create cool shit. Mm. And there was a problem with the Pioneer program, which is it was originally created to help people create a very unique business, but it ended up because of my books are often, my books um, uh, sort of resonate most with beginners, particularly the most recent one. It, I ended up with a lot of beginners who hadn't done entrepreneurship before. 
And they're the least well-placed to create something original because they basically, if you haven't been an entrepreneur before, you have to just kind of learn the entrepreneurial chops. You need to learn resilience and asking for things and selling and marketing and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So you need to learn the rules before you can break them. So I'd end up with this course that was meant to be about uh, creating something truly original, but in the end, it ended up just teaching basic entrepreneurs, entrepreneurial skills, which was part of, is something I'm, I really have a, a drive to do because I want to teach what I wish I'd known 20 years yeah. ago. But there was something about this essential problem that it wasn't really my most favorite kind of work. And what happened is some people had approached me to work one-to-one at a much higher price point. And that work turned out to be really easy, really easy to sell, really easy to deliver, very enjoyable, no tension. Like no one ever kind of threw their toys out the pram because the, the, uh, the, um, you know, the course is too hard or something. Um, I would tell them to do something and they go do it. And we can have really honest conversations about entrepreneurship and what they should do next and what would work. And they just execute on it and they get results. And so I told all this to this coach, Scott, and he says, I think you should shut down the Pioneer program, just do one-to-one. And I went, what? Because <laughs> we were just coming up to the next marketing cycle to fill this program with 30, 40 people or whatever. And he was saying, like, just can it. How did you feel when he suggested that? Well, kind of excited because yeah. I saw the logic of it. But he, he said um, that but the only way you're going to make it work is by publicly declaring it over. So you can't half-ass it. You have to – basically, I did a live video in this Facebook group. It's got a 1,000 people in it when I run called um, – uh, the F word, let's play Facebook group, if people want to find it. And I did a live video explaining this decision and said the Pioneer program is no more. This is the last run. It finishes Friday. And the people who are on a subscription, you know, we're basically cancelling their subscriptions. And this is the thing that pays, you know, most of, it's most of the money that comes into the company currently. So I had to make that brave declaration mm-hmm. because it's by being um, that clear about it and saying this is why that there'll be a certain proportion of people who are watching it who will go like i want to work with this guy sounds like he's got a good philosophy and then they'll get in and and basically it has worked thank god (laughs) i mean that was a fairly clear sign it was going to already because people were even without marketing people were contacting me about working me one-to-one so people started to contact me and then i formalized what the offer was and um uh, and it's worked really nicely. And the sales conversations are so easy. I just go like, this is how it works. Where are you? What do you need? What do you think? And they go, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> you know, for a much, they're paying, you know, a much higher price point than the Pioneer people, like uh, five, six times more. But it was a, like an easy decision for most of those people. And, um, and then it's easy to work with them. Do you think, how important was it that your coach helped, well, like, you know, would you have quit that otherwise? Or like, was it kind of on your mind that you needed someone external to say it? Or like how, yeah, what role did that play in that decision? Um, it, I, it does make a difference. I had a, uh, to give you a parallel, I had a decision when I was 16. I, I, was, um, I was going to a private school that my mum was paying for and it was not easy for her to pay for, for at all. Um, and... I had the choice of either staying in that private school for two years to do my A-levels 
or to move to the local sixth form college, which was very good, uh, which was free, which is the state school. And my mum, to her credit, said, the decision is completely yours. I'm not going to say anything. You decide. Now, she's probably secretly hoping. I really hope he leaves the paid <laughs> yeah. school. Um, but, you know, because uh, like, we were not that well off, particularly. Uh, and so she was, she was really, but she was good. She just allowed me. And I wrote a list of pros and cons. Mm. And, you know, I did the, you know, on the left side, here are the pros, here are the, on the right side, here are the pros and cons of each particular option. And then the thing that made my mind is I started asking my brother's friends who were a couple of years older, some of whom who'd stayed in the school and some of whom had gone to the sixth form college. And I spoke to this one guy who'd gone to the sixth form college and he just goes in his typical teenager way. He just goes, you don't want to stay in school. And I, and, and I suddenly went like, oh yeah, I don't. <laughs> and it, so he just kind of said, yeah. what, the feeling was there, but I was so buried in my pros and cons sheets that it's, he, he, he just kind of like, you don't want to stay there. Just, just made me realize he didn't persuade me. It's like, oh yeah, actually he's right. And so I went, so you to, went to the sick form. Yeah. And, now, and then my mother's regretted it ever since. It was your first bit of market research then, wasn't it? Well, yeah, yeah. Like going to the market. I know. I get all my. I get my clients to go and do market research. They hate it. But um, yeah, go and talk to humans. It's uh, it's funny Mm. resistance people have. Yeah. Sorry, what did you say about your mum? Yeah. Oh, well, my mum was probably not probably thought I made the wrong decision because I went on to fail most of my A levels. But that was actually not to do with the school. I think that was to do with um, the, the fact I had a kind of very British breakdown, which nobody noticed at the time. So there was a lot going on in those intervening two years. Uh, but my mum now is convinced that, you know, I should have stayed in school. <laughs> now, oh, this right. is a hot topic 30 years later, whatever it is. You're like, I've got an example from when I was 16. But these these shape us, don't they? And like how we make decisions, how we like decide. And that's a big decision to put on you. That's yeah. a big thing to well, decide. Yes, yeah. I mean, you could argue that is a little bit her style. It's not always the most constructive thing to do. <laughs> yeah, no, it can't. Yeah, there's some. There's something wonderful about like, you know, they can be very controlling parents, can't they? Who like say this is going to be your life, and then there's totally yeah. hands off, which can feel just as stressful sometimes. Yeah, well, and yeah. on your head, be it. You know, mm. is is the is the downside of that. Uh, but anyway, I was I'm still convinced I did the right decision. I, I had, uh, I was in a bit of a cocoon at school and I, and I felt like if I hadn't have had that sort of very pretty breakdown during my A-levels, I would have had it at uh, a college at uni. And so yeah. it probably would have been worse a couple of years later. So, but there, were, there was other stuff going on with medical stuff and all sorts of things. Mm. I'm aware we're kind of getting to the end of our hour. So I just wanted to, mm. um, two things, well, first of all, what what are your like big tips for anyone who is who's got an idea and they think they're a scanner and they're like they know that their tendency is to possibly be a bad scanner and like yeah. just flip between like what's your what's your top tips for um for staying committed actually to the things that really are important to you yeah just reminded me of it but the bad scanner article got me into trouble i didn't tell that oh story. yeah but people would comment and just be really, really angry on that blog post. It's like, how dare you suggest? Because because I said, if you never ship anything, you're not a scanner. You're just a loser. So it was oh, really deliberately John. inflammatory, right? Yeah, yeah. And but it was. I was trying to make a really strong point. Provocative. And, yeah. Um, and then they went to this Facebook group 
called Scanners and Renaissance Souls and joined that. Well, they're already in there, I think. And then moaned about this blog post I'd written, not realizing that A, I was the person who set up the group and B, my photo was in the bloody header. <laughs> so <laughs> they were burning about me being my own group. But anyway, um, not nice. that I run that group anymore. So my advice is... Um, in order to not be a bad scanner and a loser, is to do a 30-day play project. Take the idea, and this is, again, it's in the F word, let's play, but so to choose something where you're going to pursue it for 30 days wholeheartedly, and the rule is you're shipping something, you're producing in those 30 days. You are not freaking Googling, or you are not building your website for this future amazing business. That is busy work that is not necessary right now. What you need to be doing is if you want to, like the example I give, you want to be a declutter consultant, right? Or what's it? It's called something else now, professional organizer. What you do is you don't worry about what the company name is and look for your, look for domain names and set up a website or whatever. You basically go to a friend and say, hey, look, I, I know you've always had this really messy office. Could I come and help you clear it up sometime in next week? And in exchange, if you just buy me, you know, lunch, uh, while we're working and give me a testimonial at the end. I'll, I'll just I'll just get this whole place sorted out for you. And you ask a couple of friends and one of them will eventually say yes. And you got your first free client. And then you go on and say like, who else do you know needs me? Uh, you know, I'm going to charge this initially and eventually it will cost this much money, but they'll get me cheap if they use me right now. And then they go, oh, I reckon my friend, whatever could use you. And you've got your next client. So that's that's a good 30-day project, like win your first client, um, go and do something in 30 days where you're producing. If it's an art project, you need to produce within those 30 days and ship your artwork at the end or ship your podcast. Your first mm-hmm. episode should go out within 30 days. So that's my suggestion. If you've got an idea and you don't, you, you don't want to just dabble with it like, I have done with, with drumming, like, you know, it's okay to have some things that you don't pursue. You know, I just fiddle around and play my e-drums for about 15 minutes when I feel like it, that's enough. Thank you. And I think, yeah, I, I really, I mean, obviously I, the 30 day challenge was huge for me. I, I set up my comedy night, but I really have taken a lot of the learnings from that for everything I've done since. And it is, mm. I definitely read that thing of just like, just do it, just try it. Um, and then like work out whether it works is, yeah. It's yeah. It's also just the energy because otherwise you're like you'll lose an interest. Well, for me, because I'm like, I need to do it otherwise I'll lose interest. So like the idea of having a two year yeah. planning cycle is so boring for me. But <laughs> maybe others are different. But I really it really resonates with me that that well, process. That, that is that's a key point you made, which is that um, the concept of iteration. And my second book covers this quite a lot. The one that's called Screw Up, Break Free, but but it's also in the new one a little bit. Um, the idea that when you're in a job, you think that everything's the final thing. Mm. And then you realize when you're an entrepreneur, everything's just the next draft. So yeah. there's, a, there's a quote we had in the 30 day challenge, which is everything is a draft. So you put out your website and you go like, oh, that looks messy. You put at least you've got a website now. Yeah, Do exactly. one page that's presentable and then you can make it look better next week because websites aren't carved in rock. They're, you know, they're in HTML and you can fix it tomorrow. Just get yeah. the damn thing up. So that's kind of the, um, uh, that's a part of understanding. Otherwise you'll be, you'll think that your first blog post or your first podcast is the most important one. It's the least important. Yeah. 
because no one's going to see the first one or hear the first one. It's only when you get traction that people start to pay attention and go like, oh, you know, this one's so true. This one's good. So true. And, and then the other thing is, you know, you, like we said, you've you've folded a few of your projects and mm. it sounds like you don't have any regrets of those. And there's like a real, mm. you have a real like, yeah, like a, just like there's peace with that. What advice do you give people who are trying to make that decision, like to deal with like the emotional side of, of quitting something that has worked? Like, yeah. how do you how do you make peace with like, yeah, this has had its time? I think it's probably our anxiety around death probably that comes into this. We, we don't really have, um, you know, the idea of shutting something down and ending something, it, it does feel very weird. So one of the things Scott said to me is, you know, your ego is going to hate, hate this strategy. Mm-hmm. Because there is a, you know, when I was running the 30-day challenge of 350 people, I run, uh, I ran this free five-day challenge of up to 1,300 people on it. You can talk about that on social media and go, we've got 1,300 people starting the money. People go, bloody hell, that's amazing. And um, there's an ego hit to that. Whereas if you just go like, I work with this person, we did some amazing work. There is, yeah, you can tell a story around that, but you lose something. So, mm-hmm. so you have to acknowledge the ego hit for you are putting something to bed you've also got to deal with the kind of grief like maybe nothing's ever perfect it's not like if you've waited until the point where you hate this thing before you shut it down you've waited too long so you actually need to be you know what's that kill your darlings is the phrase Mm. you need to you need to be killing things while you still actually like them yeah jerry seinfeld uh stopped the seinfeld show when he was at the very peak and that's a really good model for people. And like, if that guy's never, there'll be no reunion of Seinfeld at any point. Well, I mean, he's got 130 million quid, so he's not really concerned about it. But in terms of financially, he doesn't need it, that's for sure. But he, he's got other things going on. He's still respected for what he did, and that would only mess things up. So you've got to, um, uh, you've got to be willing to shut them down early if anything before other people want you to mm. and realize that there will be it it won't be like 100% against and 0% for it's always going to be 70% for uh, sorry 70% against or 60% against mm. and 40% for and it and part of what eases that pain is knowing it's the really brave people who are willing to walk away from the good thing or even the very good thing in order to create something that's exceptional. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy to just ride your successes forever. Uh, but it, you know, that just, um, it, you, you fade after a while. People know what you're doing and they can sense it. And so you've got to be finding that artistic bravery, you could almost call it, even if it's an entrepreneurial project, um, is hard. And I guess maybe I, what I'm saying is just knowing that it is going to be an emotionally difficult thing and having people around you who understand that, who can talk to you on that level um, will be, is an important part of it. I think that's such a good point. Like not trying to avoid the pain. Mm-hmm. John, it's been such a, such a great conversation. I love exploring this with you and I'd love to hear yeah, what are your what have you got coming up? Like, what? How can people connect with you? Yeah, I mean, a good place to start is the new book, F Work, Let's Play, Do What You Love and Get Paid for It. It was Double H Smith Business Book of the Month at the end of last year. It's still on 
It's still on display in the top 20, I think, in airports at the moment. But you can get it on Amazon. If you, um, if you go to fworkletsplay.com, you can download a free chapter. And then also on that page, on fworkletsplay.com, you can find a link to take my five-day challenge um, for free. And you can sign up to that. Uh, and that's a, it's a business thing. So it's about how to, how to create a standout offer. One thing that sells that's different to other people and men is a lot easier to market for that reason. So those are probably two good places to start. I've got a Facebook group, which uh, again is called the name of the book, FYL Let's Play, Create a Business You Love with John Williams. So you can search um, Facebook, but if you, um, I think there's a link to it. If you sign up to um, anything on my sites, you can get a, a link to that Facebook group anyway, if you can't find me. So there's probably good places to start. Mm. And, uh, uh, and then just, you know, look out for things like if you get on my mailing list at, at the website I mentioned for the book then uh you'll hear about anything we do because we occasionally run like one-off live workshops on um yeah. particular topics like how to create an online course that kind of stuff yeah amazing well I I think it's so great to hear you talk about closing the pioneer program and the fact that you're loving the work you're doing the one-to-one work and that it feels easy Mm. and joyful and I just I think it's so good to see you practice what you preach because there's a lot of coaches who work with entrepreneurs that you you know they do all this stuff about love your work and behind the scenes they're miserable they're they're overstressed they hate they're finding it boring they you know I just think it's really refreshing and yeah just like it's just really good to hear that you're like practicing what you preach you're iterating you're like yeah you're just really Mm. present with your work and you see it evolving with you like that's the other thing I see that over the years you've created what you needed as well for yourself and when that's like you know you said a few times today oh it was often like people at the start of their journey but I guess at the Mm. you were at the start of your journey when you started creating it so of course it was like then those became outdated over time yeah yeah Yeah, that's right yeah Good. Well, no, it's been great. I've really enjoyed that. And I'm really impressive what you've created. I'm really, I think your story in the book is, is a brilliant illustration of operators, a scanner. Uh, so that's yeah. worth checking out. And um, yeah, it's been great. Awesome. Yeah, Have a lovely day. Speak soon. Bye. Letting go. Holding on. I hope you enjoyed that episode with John Williams. If you want to find out more about what he's up to, you can check out fworkletsplay.com where you'll find information about any courses he's got coming up or working one-to-one with him. You can also buy his book, F Work Let's Play, and his previous books, Screw Work Let's Play and Screw Work Break Free are also highly recommended. Thanks so much and see you next week. Holy God.